Would you stand with me please one more time this morning? So glad to see each and every one of you. Today is number two in our new series, Name Above All Names. <clears throat> we want to find our text on the screen this morning, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. Would you find a screen and read out loud with me please? Here we go. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. I don't know about you, but during that worship time, I just wanted to shout that. Run into his name. Run into his name. We were singing, no other name, no other name. Jesus, Jesus. And that is the name. That is the strong tower. Find your shelter in that today. The name of Jesus is something that we could Listen to it from the message. God's name is a place of protection. Good people can run there and be safe. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, be safe. The only way you can be safe is covered under the name of the Lord. Uh, we do that message text, our series text, every week because I'm hoping that you can get this hidden in your arsenal so that Scripture is there. Somebody said one time, uh, you, you memorize Scripture so that the Holy Spirit has a playlist that He can tag when it's time for you to be encouraged in a certain area. So one more time, let's do it together. Here we go. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Let's get the, the uh, street and the rest. Here we go. Proverbs 18.10. Very good. That one's getting in there, so we're glad about that. Exodus chapter 3, three more verses. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say those words with me. I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord... The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is, everybody read out loud, last line, here we go. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God, we ask you today, as we open our hearts in this place, do what only you can do. And I just confess before you and before everyone here that I cannot do anything apart from you. I am absolutely nothing without you. Jesus, I thank you that I'm not without you today, but you get into this. Appoint my words, anoint my words to fall on ears that are open and prepared. Do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do and, and prick a heart and open it to the gospel today. God, I thank you that as we are in this place, we'll be careful to give you all the praise because it's all about you. You're the center of this thing. Uh, Lord, thank you that you've given us life, that we have breath in this place. And even as the word says, let everything that hath breath Praise the Lord. We're going to be careful to do that. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of God. There's an additional passage that I'm not going to take time to read, but just for your information, me check it. Uh, look at it in your own Bible study time, your devotional time. It's found in Proverbs chapter 30. It's called the Oracle, the words of Agur, the son of Jacob, who talks about being weary and not having the wisdom of God. And he's saying, God... Is there, I don't have any knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who's gathered the wind in his fist? Who's wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. I think that's an interesting prophetic passage which leans us into the fact that God is progressively revealing himself. One generation, he lays a line. He does not depart from that and say something contrary or different, but he builds on what he's said previously. He confirms that, then he continues to build. And it goes on to say in verse 5 of, of Proverbs 30, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. How many believe that this morning? Thankful for the reading of the word of the Lord. Blessed, O oh God, we pray. Now, there's a story here that I think that is so important that we need to take time and just rehearse a few of the details. There's a little bit of history. We've got a guy at this point who is 80 years old. He has been on the backside of a wilderness tending sheep for about 40 years. That wasn't his original vocation. He had grown up in a palace. Uh, and even more interestingly than that, he had been rescued from the waters of the Nile. We're talking about a man by the name of Moses, the covenantal head of the Old Covenant. And the story 
um, begins here with the message today, but we're sort of having to just jump into this big, huge narrative because it's been developing for actually centuries, even millennia at this point. When you open the very first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings, you'll find that it is very much consumed with about five key guys, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then I would, the sixth one would be uh, Joseph. From about chapter 37 through about 50, it's consumed with this one of the sons of, of Jacob. If you remember, his name gets changed to Israel. Now, to go back and give you a little bit of, a little bit of rehearsal, a little bit of review, you know what happened? Adam blew it. Uh, then we read a few more chapters and there's a great rain. I really feel like we're kind of living out Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9 right now. And it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, and I think there's another front coming in this afternoon. And is anybody building an ark around here? I don't. Uh, so that's the story of Noah. And you know that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And you continue to read several more chapters. And you've got the story of the Tower of Babel. And then all of a sudden God interrupts the scene by tapping the shoulder of a guy who's not seeking the Lord. He's not hungry for God, but God goes seeking him, which I think is a beautiful picture of our salvation. Uh, we're the ones that are lost, and God gets in the hunt. God is in the hunt, and he's looking for you. The game that he's after is your soul, your heart. Somebody say amen. amen. And so he goes hunting for Abraham, and he interrupts his, his just daily life routine. And Abraham is, is from Ur of the Chaldees. He's worshiping the moon. God introduces him to real worship, the worship of the sun, which is the S-O-N. Uh, Jesus Christ, not the S-U-N, the sun in the sky, but the true light of the world, Jesus. And, and God makes a promise to Abraham. He makes a covenant with him. And he promises him that through his line, out of his loins, is going to come a whole family that's going to bless all of the other families of the earth. He'll make him a blessing. He'll bless those who bless him. He'll make his name great. All of these things are part of what we call the Abrahamic covenant. And the, the interesting thing is, is that it takes 25 years from the time God promises Abraham that he's going to have a promised son before the promised son shows up. Now Abraham already was 75 when God showed up and tapped him on the shoulder. By standards today, he's already outside of childbearing age. Okay, um, His wife is 10 years his junior, she's 65. The scripture gives us pretty clear uh, definition of really where their state is. He's too old, there's no way she's, she can conceive. And yet in the middle of this, God gives a promise and grants great hope to a woman whose womb is barren and a man who is, who is childless. He says, I'm going to change your name from Abram to Abraham, which will be no longer exalted father, but you're going to be called father of many nations. Can you imagine when he goes down to the local watering hole, to the pub, and he says, hey guys, don't call me Abram anymore, call me Abraham. And they're all sitting over there snickering going, he's already doused up before he got in here. He must already, he's three sheets to the wind. And, uh, and, he, and he, you know, he, can, you can you imagine the, the snickering and probably a, a little bit of teasing that maybe Abraham went through by telling people that God had changed his name? Oh, really? You really? Went? When did you meet this God? And so God makes a promise. Abraham really kind of hangs strong for a long time. He tries to do it in his own strength. Hagar, you know, they end up birthing Ishmael. I'm trying to give you a real quick run through Bible history here. He finally, 25 years later, he's 100 years old. Sarah is 90. And here comes Isaac. And, and it's by the time where he's already doesn't even care anymore. And he's given up on it. And God, you know, are you, are you out of your mind? And God basically says, no, Abraham, I'm outside your mind. Right. And so the whole story comes along where God makes a promise and it just takes God a little longer to do it than what Abraham and Sarah thought it would take. How many of you can relate to that this morning? Yeah. That, that God does not seem to get in a hurry. But He is a God whose word can be trusted. Every word of God is true. And the man who runs into it can be safe is what the scripture says. I just read a moment ago in Proverbs 30 verse 5. And so then we see this amazing unfolding of covenant. God promises Abraham, I'm going to give you your own land as far as your eye can see, but you're not going to get it in your generation. He says, I want the wrath that I'm going to pour out on this cup of wrath on the Amorites has to be filled up first. And he said, in the fourth generation you will enter this land. Well, 400 years later, Abraham's seed has grown into probably a million, two million people, and they're over in Egypt. Now what happens between that point and this point is Abraham and Sarah have Isaac. Isaac meets Rebekah. Isaac and Rebekah have Jacob and Esau. God says, my seed is going to come through the line of Jacob. 
Jacob is rich. He's wealthy. The hand of God, the favor of the Lord's on him. He marries a couple of good-looking ladies. One of them is Leah. The other one is Rachel. He has 11 sons and daughters by these two and by their handmaids. And one of his sons, Joseph, is pretty highly favored. It Really, his story consumes most of the book of Genesis. Joseph has a dream. He's going to be a man of influence. He has great destiny on his life. He sees all of his family bowing down before him. Sun, moon, and stars all bowing down before him. All the sheaves of wheat bowing down before him. He has two dreams. The biggest problem Joseph had is that he told the wrong folks his dream. Somebody say amen. amen. Everybody doesn't need to know your dream. He had some brothers that were half-brothers who get upset. They're jealous of him. They throw him in a pit, sell him into slavery. Joseph just about gives up on God before his dream comes to pass because God doesn't get in a hurry in fulfilling his promise to him either. Thirteen years later, now if you know the story, you'll remember Joseph is thrown in a pit. He's sold into slavery. He works in the house of Potiphar. Potiphar's wife lies on him. He gets thrown into prison. He's in the dungeon of Pharaoh's prison and he's down there 13 years. Everything he touches, God blesses. The Bible says even the warden of the prison had high favor upon Joseph because the Lord was with him. Now that's got to be a little consolation. You're in prison, you've been lied on, you shouldn't be, but oh yeah, the Lord decides He's going to join you. He'll be a cellmate with you down there. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that, that, that's got to give you a little bit of comfort in the face that you're in the place where you don't belong in. But God says, I'm taking you away. You wouldn't have thought you're going to get to the throne, but you're going to get there. Thirteen years later, Abraham, uh, Pharaoh has a dream. Joseph ends up coming out of prison, interprets the dream of Pharaoh. He becomes second in command. He's the prime minister, the second most powerful man in the known world. The Egyptian empire is influencing the whole known world of the Mediterranean Sea, northern Africa, all the way around Asia Minor, Turkey, Greece, Italy, all of those things that we know as those names today weren't known by those names at that time. And so Egypt is strong. It's the mightiest empire in the world. And Pharaoh is the name that causes every other king to shudder. God brings Joseph to sit second in command under the most powerful man on the earth. And you know the story? He has the dream, seven fat cows eat seven lean cows. And you know the other part of the dream. And so basically Joseph says, let's store all this grain for these seven years of bounty so that we'll have enough to exist during the seven years of famine. Pharaoh is overwhelmed by the wisdom that is coming out of this young Hebrew's mouth and he raises his up to, him up to a place of influence. Israel is back home in uh, where he's living and God gets word to him. You know the story. He ends up coming back to Egypt in order to get grain. And the Hebrews, because of Joseph, are actually celebrated. There's a family that began with one and all of a sudden now just the descendants of Israel are, are well over 70, over 100 or so. They come into Egypt and within four generations begin to multiply. Just, I mean, they're literally becoming in the hundreds of thousands. The Pharaoh dies. The Hebrews are put in slavery. They're dying. They're in chains. They're in bondage. Their cries go up to God. They're remembering the promises that God had made to their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And in the middle of this, God hears the cries and He causes the birth of a little boy into a Hebrew family. Exodus chapter 2 tells the story and it's, it's, a, it's a tribe of Levi. That's going to be a priestly tribe when God sort of sets this whole thing up in order. Amram and Jochebed, the mom and dad of this little boy whose name is going to be Moses, basically defy the word of Pharaoh because the Hebrews have multiplied to such a great extent and they're just like multiplying like rabbits and thousands have become hundreds of thousands and hundreds of thousands now have, have become probably one and a half to two million people that are inhabiting the land of Egypt and Pharaoh is trying to keep these people under his command. They're building great cities. They're dying under the massive stones that are erecting the pyramids. And these people are crying out to God. They're, they're staying sweet in the middle of their frustration, knowing that God has a promised land for them, and this ain't it. This Where I'm at right now is not the fulfillment of the promise of God. And they keep crying to God. The Bible says God hears their groans. In the middle of this, a little boy is born. Pharaoh gives the commandment that says, all of the boy babies of the Hebrews 
have to be killed. They must be thrown into the Nile River. The Nile River was an object of worship. It was the source out of which the agriculture of Egypt flourished. They worshipped everything that crawled up out of the Nile. A crocodile was a figure of a god to the Egyptians. The frogs, which is the very thing that God used later to sort of kick Pharaoh right in his gods. Everything they worshipped became an element of attack on them. So God raises up this little baby and a mama that's got some faith and she builds a little ark and she pitches it with pitch, the Bible says. And it's a little floating ark and the, the big sister to this little baby goes and puts it in the water and it's actually sound. It'll float and she's walking very, very circumspectly through the marshes and she sees the daughter of Pharaoh bathing in the Nile River and she stays back behind the rushes hidden but she gives the little ark a nudge and all of a sudden the daughter of Pharaoh hears a crying sound of a little baby and she opens the ark and she sees a beautiful baby boy. He's a proper child is what the scripture says. A beautiful child to look upon. Healthy and strong. And, and so all of a sudden the big sister emerges from the thrushes and says, oh, what is this? And the daughter of Pharaoh says, it's a baby. And she immediately calls him Moses, for I drew him out of the water. That's what his name means. It's prophetic. He was drawn up out of the very thing that, that, that Pharaoh, a type of Satan, had cursed. And yet God caused one to live to give his testimony in the face of the curse. So Moses is taken into the house of Pharaoh. But the young daughter, the, the big sister says, Hey, how about this? How about we, we get him into one of the Hebrew slaves and one of the women who might be able to nurse this baby for you and then when he's a toddler, we can bring him back to the palace. And the daughter of Pharaoh agreed to it. And of course, the big sister took him right back home to his own mama. He's protected now by the palace. Isn't this amazing? The, the Pharaoh himself had given a commandment that the boy babies would die, but yet now this one is going to be protected because he's seen the favor of the daughter of Pharaoh herself. And she's overseeing him. He comes back to the palace. And now for the next several years, next several decades, we really don't know what happened. It's just speculation. Uh, the gospel according to the Ten Commandments and Cecil B. DeMille paints this great picture with Charlton Heston and Ewell Brenner as Pharaoh, and it gives us this great picture of, 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 of Moses growing up and being trained in the universities of Egypt, and we use that word loosely, but he obviously has everything that the house of Pharaoh can afford, because he is the, he's the grandson to the Pharaoh, and nobody really knows any differently. They don't know that he's actually a, a Hebrew boy that God has planted in the house of the enemy that's going to, from the inside, tear down the power of the enemy's house himself. Oh, come on, somebody. That'll preach right there. I didn't have that thought in the first service, but that one hit me right there. Just like Jesus who goes down and invades the, the, the very gates of hell, and from the inside, he rips it down and tears it apart. My, 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 my. Ooh, that's good. That's, that's hot off the press right there, man. Woo! And he, he goes inside, but something happens. Something, just like God, he won't leave him in that situation because he's not truly an Egyptian. He doesn't have the heart of an Egyptian. He's trying to do what a good Egyptian does, but yet there's something that reaches out to this oppressed people around him. And the day he finds out that he really is one of them, something overtakes him and he decides he's going to be a man of destiny, a person of influence, a, a, a ruler to set his people free and one of the Egyptian men of the army is mistreating one of his Hebrew brothers and he sees him one day and he immediately defends his Hebrew brother and he kills the Egyptian soldier, buries him in the sand hoping nobody saw it. The next day he comes around and sees a couple of his other Hebrew brothers and they're arguing among themselves and he says, why do you do this? Why, don't, don't fight among yourselves. And, and the guys basically said, who set you up to be a judge among us? Are you going to kill one of us like you did the Egyptian soldier yesterday? Moses is fearful because he knows that the word is out. It's not going to be long before Pharaoh knows about it. He was once the prince of Egypt, but now he's a fleeing murderer. Things can change in our lives. Circumstances can change in a moment. And he has to flee that place of comfort. The Bible says he chose the things of God rather than to endure the pleasures of sin for a season. And sin does have its pleasures. Don't let anybody lie to you and tell you it doesn't. But those pleasures do not last. He chose to give that up and because the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, having seen him who is invisible. 
And that, that'll preach right there. I wish I could chase that rabbit, but I'm not going to. He saw the one who was invisible, and he goes into the desert now for 40 years. That just makes me tired saying it. 40 years. All of this has happened, and this prince of Egypt who thinks he's going to be a deliverer who's ready, he's ready in that moment. God, use me now. Come on, put me in, coach. God has to take him to the backside of the desert and basically let time beat that out of him to get him ready. When I'm ready, when you're ready, is when we truly say that we are totally dependent upon God. And we don't think we can do it in our own strength. Come on, somebody. I can so relate to Moses because there were, on the, in the beginning of this thing, let, let me just say this to you right now and, 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 and do not judge me before I finish the paragraph because what I'm going to say on the front can't, can sound a little arrogant. I'm a smart guy. I am. And my problem is that I know that. I'm helping somebody right about here, right now. First of all, some of you are offended that I said that I'm smart and I know it. But if you'll hear that, I'm confessing a sin to you. I'm talking about pride. And, and, and it took me a few years because I started this thing and I thought, you know, hey, I got this. And God said, okay, I'm going to sit back and let you see how much you do have it. And I struggled and struggled and tried things and made decisions and just saw nothing, have no fruit. And by the time when I, I sort of just came to a point when I just said, okay, God, whatever it is, it is. I'm just, I'm tired of trying to do it in my own strength. That's when God said, okay, and now I can do something. I can do a great work. It took God 25 years to get Abraham ready to bring the promised son. It took 13 in Joseph's life before he came to the throne. A little bit of prison experience. Wow, think about that. It, it, it took, took God 40 years of Moses being on the backside of the desert. He, he wanders out there and he, he, he ends up sitting down on a well and he doesn't know it, but he's about to, to drive off some attacking animals and some robbers and, and he protects some young ladies that are trying to water uh, the, 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 the flocks, the sheep of their dad, Jethro. And he ends up being invited into the house and you know the story, he meets his wife and God brings to him Moses' wife and he has a baby and all of this former going to be a prince of Egypt, going to be a deliverer just sort of fades into living day-to-day -day life, taking care of sheep and loving Zipporah and raising a new baby boy by the name of Gershom and just sort of living a whole different life. And he sort of disconnects from that and just, just once in a while I'm sure he would probably have a memory of how good the food tasted in the palace of Egypt, how his grandfather treated him, how beautiful his mother was. He can remember the day when he, he, he found out who he really was and his identity was established and he chose to identify with his Hebrew brothers and sisters and, and the pain that he saw in their faces and wondering if God ever would really fulfill a promise and set those people free. He's been out here on the backside of the desert now for 40 years and probably has gone through seasons where he's had weeks and even months of not even thinking about it because he's just sort of disconnected from it and just finally just said, you know, it's never going to happen. I can't do it in my strength. And finally one day God says, Moses is ripe and the time is right. And God caused the lightning bolt to strike a tender dry plant that became a burning bush. And before you disregard and disagree with what I'm about to say, just hear it through. Burning bushes in the wilderness for shepherds are an everyday experience. It's dry. There's no water. It's, uh, a wilderness is not a rainforest. A wilderness is not this great, gorgeous, verdant foliage uh, of leaves and plants and crawling animals and everything all over the place where it rains twice a day. You might feel like you're living in a rainforest here in the south right now because it's just every time you turn around there's more and more rain. But a wilderness is not that kind of wilderness. This wilderness is sandy. It's just a, maybe an outcropping of a couple of palm trees and you're looking for an oasis. You hope to find a well, some water because it's just mostly dry and maybe there's a tumbleweed that gathers up all of the fragments and Maybe there's a bush that happens to grow out of the ground and a crack and there's a little bit of water nearby. And, but the drought that occurs and the beating sun of the day just causes all that to dry out and lightning strikes. And it's not an unusual occurrence for a shepherd to see bushes caught on fire. But those bushes 
they, they, they burn up pretty quickly. And they're standing there and they're seeing a, a bush on fire and within a couple of minutes it's consumed and burned up and there's nothing left but some smoke and maybe some ash. But something about this bush caught Moses' attention. It continued to burn and burn and burn. And he's tending his flock of sheep. He's doing what he normally does. He's 80 years old at this point. Not thinking at all about meeting a God in some kind of a new way. He'd been faithful. He'd loved the God that he knew was his. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And all of a sudden he sees this sight of a bush that's burning but it's not consumed. And it draws his attention into it. And he turns and he actually moves toward it. I think God sometimes will take circumstances in order to get our attention and make us do a double take and stop long enough to get out of the frenetic, crazy activity of our daily lives to listen. And as he gets his attention and he turns and he does a double take and he looks and he's immediately amazed because now the ordinary, everyday experience has revealed something extremely extraordinary. The bush is burning, but it's not consumed. And as he begins to draw near, he hears the words coming out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And God reveals himself. This is found in Exodus chapter 3. I'm not going to take time to read this, but he basically says, come near to me, but before you do, take your sandals off of your feet because the place when you're standing, where you're walking now, is holy ground. And so God begins to speak to Moses and reveal himself to him in a very powerful way. And, and, and this is basically what takes place. He starts to promise him, I'm going to deliver these sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm going to, I'm going to cause Pharaoh to let this people go so that they can be my people in a new place. And Moses starts to get excited. And, and then he hears God say, come, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh's house. And Moses says, what? You've got to be... Out of your mind. God says, no, I'm outside your mind, Moses. He let him get to the place where he knew that he no longer had the ability whatsoever to do it in his own strength. That's when I know that I'm ready for God to do something great in my life. When I'm truly dependent upon him, I'm not going, you know, God, I, I got this. I'm pretty smart. I can handle this. I can manipulate that. I can refinance this. I can get these two folks together. Come on, come on. Don't even look at me in that tone of voice because everybody in this room has done it. We've all done it. And when God brings us to the end of ourselves, when we have to say, God, you're going to have to do it because I've tried everything else. There is no other way. The end of myself is when I'm at the beginning of Him and His greatness. Listen to this. Look, several principles, and I want to move through them quickly. Any encounter with God will always leave you changed. Otherwise, it isn't legitimate. Any encounter with God that's a true, real encounter with His presence, with the Holy Spirit, it's, going to, it's not just going to be exciting for a little bit. It will truly leave you changed on the inside out. If it doesn't, then it's not legitimate. It's just an emotional release. It's just a high at a concert. It's just somebody whipping up the crowd in a great worship song that may be wonderful, or a great praise song, you may get your praise on, get your jump on, but I'm going to tell you, if there's a real encounter with God, it will transform you. It will change you. It's more than the music. It's better than the lyrics. It's more than a great sound system and a, one amazing praise team or a manipulating preacher or a pastor or a prophet or anything else for that matter. If it's a real encounter with God, it will transform you. It will change you. Otherwise, it is not legitimate. Somebody say amen. God is self-revealing. Remember that. He is progressively laying line upon line. Since Adam, man has feared the God that he used to walk in intimate communion with. So God is showing. He's pulling another line. He's, he's, he's taking something else off, another cloak. He's, he's self-exposing. God is basically saying, come on Moses, I'm going to invite you into a, a photo bomb. I'm going to jump into your life and I'm going to hold up my iPad and we're going to do a, a God reveals selfie right here. Say cheese, Mo. And they take a picture. God says, in this moment, I'm going to reveal something to you that I haven't told anybody else. And the question is, will God do for you and your experience in your life what He did for Moses? Absolutely He will. He will shake up things. He will change things. He will transform things. He will fix a fix to fix the fix that you're in, is what my former pastor used to say. And I'm thankful for that. God reveals Himself. Look at this. The threeness and the oneness of God is revealed 
in what you see, the self-revealing God in the bush. You guys had it, but you jumped too quickly. There we go. God's threeness and oneness are revealed. Look at this. Here are the three. The voice that calls out of the bush is the Father, the unconsumed bush itself, the bush that, that is burning but does not burn up, is the Son, then the fire that's in the bush is the Holy Spirit. So we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all encountering Moses' life. And God reveals himself and snaps an Instagram. He says, this is a selfie. I want you in it with me. I'm going to change your life because I'm going to do something great through you. But look at this next principle this morning. God will reveal the extraordinary through the ordinary. Now, when I said this morning that burning bushes were a commonplace, that came as a shock to most of the people in the room because you don't regularly think about a bush being set on fire. But then when I qualified it and said, because we're in a dry place and weather patterns happen and thunderstorms come over and lightning strikes, dry things burn up. But the whole issue with this was it was a common experience, but God did something uncommon through a common situation. God can do something in the cubicle of your work, in the ordinariness of your life, in your family, in your relationships, in your school. Come on, somebody. In, in the decisions that you're about to make. The ordinariness of going through the process of being faithful on a daily basis. God can get in that and make the ordinary become extraordinary. Somebody say amen. amen. I love that. And the reason that I tell you that is that you don't want to get burnt going around looking for burning bushes. This is what we do. You hear my testimony and how God met me and you think that you've got to seek that same kind of an encounter and an experience and a situation and so you try to manufacture it. I hear what God does in him or at that church and then I would try to do it here and then it wouldn't work and I would beat my head against the wall and go, God, God is saying, oh, do you still think you're so smart? Are you hearing me this morning? And I get burnt looking for burning bushes, trying to, trying to reduplicate something in my life that God did in somebody else's. When the issue is, is that I should just seek the face of the Lord. Because whatever I need, He is that. Are you hearing me this morning? Don't get burnt looking for burning bushes, particularly the way somebody else met God in their burning bush. Next point, God will always start with what you know and then He will stretch you. What did God say to Moses? I am the Lord. I'm the God, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When God comes to you and does something new and fresh into your life, He will always build on what your current understanding of who He is. It may be minimal. It may be minuscule. It may even be jacked up and wrong. But He'll start there and then show you who He truly is and stretch you out. He'll blow you out of that box that you think you're trying to put God in. Somebody say amen. God will always start with what you know and then He will stretch you outside of what you know. Next point, and I'm moving quickly this morning. What God says will always confirm what God said. Now, if you're not listening really well, you can totally miss that. I want you to look at the, the board, if you would please, and I want you to read it out loud with me quickly. Here we go. What God says will always confirm what God said. I am what you call a continuationist. I'm not a cessationist. I don't believe that, that God spent uh, uh, 1,500 years writing a book with 40 different authors and amazingly make it agree around a central theme of this idea of redemption. And then as soon as the last page is put together and the council decided what books were good and what weren't, and then this canon was closed, that God went mute. I don't believe that when uh, 1611, as wonderful as it is, as a revered date, when the release of the King James Authorized Version, as wonderful as that is and how it's shaken the world, and I'm thanking God for that. I am not speaking facetiously or pejoratively in any kind of way. I just don't believe that when that day hit, after that day, God decided I'm never going to say another word to anybody ever again. I believe God is still speaking. I believe that when He speaks to you, it is not in the revelatory sense. I believe it's in the illuminating sense because He's shining a light on 
This is critical. It's different. When I speak and I prophesy the word of the Lord, it is not on the, on the level of what the Apostle Paul said or what the Apostle Peter said. I'm not adding to this revelation, but God is certainly still speaking today and when God's, what God says will always confirm what God said. If what you think God says disagrees with what God said, then God's not the one saying it. You, you believe what I just said right there? Okay. It's important that when we, we, we recognize that God is talking to us, that we have some parameters by which we judge the correctness of that. Otherwise, people can jump goofy and come up with a whole lot of really weird stuff. What God says will always confirm what God said. Well, make this a little more real. How, how are you relating this to this story? Well, Abraham met a covenant-making God. God made a covenant with Abraham, promised him a bunch of promises. The first one was to bear a son. That took 25 years for that to take place. And God said, you know what? I'm not through with all these nations over here. Some judgment's going to come on these Amorites and all this mess. Four generations later, I'm going to drive them out. And I'm going to set you in there and make that your property. That's going to be your land, your promised land. God remembers his covenant. Look at this. Listen, Exodus chapter 2. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Verse 24 of Exodus 2. And God heard their groaning and God remembered His covenant. Everybody say, remembered His covenant. God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel. And I believe the three most powerful words that come right after a dash here says, And God knew. Period. Say those three words with me. And God knew. New. All this other stuff is so awesome. It's great. It's, it's theological. It's a confirmation of this thing called the covenant. And I can get excited about that and I can sit around and talk with other preachers or Bible students about God keeping His covenant. But something so powerful to me this morning that I believe that will ring in the heart of every hungry listener in this place is that God knew. Let me, let, 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 let me bring that into present tense. Your circumstances that you wonder if God is even aware of, God knows. Your, your decisions that you have to make, the news you just got, God knows. The, the, the battles that you're facing, the, 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 the problems in your home, the, the, the lack of peace that you're praying for, God knows. There is no situation that, that can take you so far from God that He does not know your street number and address or where your life is or what's happening and how that He cannot reach you. God knew. He knew you before the foundation of the world. Come on, somebody. Get some encouragement. Let hope be injected into your heart this morning. And God knew. That, to me, puts hope alive in my heart to know that the circumstances that I'm facing right now, He is fully aware and He is because I love Him and because He called me according to His purpose. He will work all things together for my good. Come on somebody, give God some praise this morning. Abraham met a covenant-making God. Moses met a covenant-keeping God. Moses was invited into this larger script, this bigger story that had actually been going on for generations now. And God tapped Moses on the shoulder and he says, Hey, I'm, I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And that had covenantal meaning to him. He knew that God had made all these promises that had been passed down orally. They'd all sat around the campfire and told their children how God had said to Abraham, I'm going to make your name great and I'm going to make all the families of the earth be blessed through you. Which ultimately comes only through the seed of Christ. Moses rehearses that. He thinks about that and he goes, okay, God remembers. He's not forgotten us. I thought for sure 40 years on the backside of the desert that God had forgotten my life, my dream, my destiny. No, Moses, he just waited until you were convinced that you could no longer do it in your own strength. Hear this to some of my senior saints that are sitting in the room this morning. Some gray hairs, some beautiful white hairs. The Bible says that that is the glory of old age. It's the picture of wisdom. It is, it is an honor to be able to live long enough to have some of this stuff. And when I figured that out, I quit coloring it. 
hear me this morning. If God can take a prince of Egypt, turn him into a shepherd, run him through that mill for 40 years, and then turn around and tap him on the shoulder, and he says, hey, Mo, guess what? Now you're ready. You're going to go in before Pharaoh. And Moses was fine with all of that until he said that part. Oh, thank God you've remembered. You're going to set our people free. But basically he looked at God and he says, you want me to do what? Next point. You want me to do what? See, Moses thought he was ready for this 40 years prior. And God basically had to take him into the school of the wilderness. Some of you kind of wish that your scholarship and your tuition would run out. You're in the school of the wilderness right now. And that's where you have a chance to meet God in some great places and some great ways. Understand His voice in the place of the still, small spirit. Not in the great sensational grandstanding, but it's in just knowing the quietness of His presence. When you're alone, when you're isolated, when you're by yourself, when you feel like your dreams have been crushed, God knew. I love that. You want me to do what? It's in this place where God basically says this. We're coming to the end this morning. Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name, and what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say that with me. I am who I am. And he said, Say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. It was not a coincidence that when Jesus came on the scene, he began to declare, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread sent down from heaven. I am, I am, I am. Jesus came declaring He was the embodiment of this secret name of God, this I am who I am. As we wrap this up this morning, this is what God says. He says, God said also to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Last two points that I want to make with you this morning. In that moment, God shares His secret name. His secret name with Moses. No one had he ever revealed this name to until Moses. There were those who had some knowledge of it but didn't understand it. didn't make any sense to, to them. But in this moment, it becomes alive. It becomes a point where God is building on purpose with revelation, progressively revealing. God's secret name, it's just four unpronounceable letters. Y-H-W-H. Try to say that. Yeah, no, I mean vowels. Don't say Y-H-W-H, yeah, but I mean. But if we phonetically, you remember how when you were in the first grade and they said W-H makes a wah, wah, wah sound. Okay, Y-H-W-H. At the best you can whisper it. Faithful Jews call this the unpronounceable name of God. They believe that it is so holy that it should not be said out loud. And literally it's a form of the Hebrew verb to be. To be. In English, that's am, is, are, were, was, be, being, been. All of that having to do with to be. It speaks of the self-existent God. It's God in His omnipotence. It's all power. It's God in His omnipresence. He is everywhere at all times in the fullness of His presence. It's God in His omniscience. He knows all things. This one phrase has encapsulated in that all of the omnis of God. Everything that He is and that we are not. Yes, we're made in His image, but we are not omnipresent. We're made in His image, but we don't know all things. We're not omniscient. We're made in His image, but we are not omnipotent. We are not all-powerful. And it's when I realize that and I'm dependent upon God that I get myself in a place to be ready to be used greatly by Him. This is what's said. Hebrews 11.6, He that comes to God. It says first, for without faith it's impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. What I want to say to you this morning 
is that no matter what your need is, God has come to redeem you. This is the Redeemer name of God. God reveals this to a guy who's about to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt by the blood, the water, and the Spirit. This is amazing. He's going to lead out two million Jews out from bondage, from slavery. Egypt is, is a type of the world. Pharaoh is a type of Satan. Slavery is the bondage to sin. And, and Moses is our heavenly Jesus who comes and leads us out by the shed blood of the Lamb and by the water of baptism into the Red Sea and by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Same elements in the New Covenant. Except it's the blood of one Lamb and it's the water of recognition of bearing the old man and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. and We yield our lives to Him. God's secret name. Look at this. A couple things and I want to move on and end this. If you would, next one. Those are the, the four unpronounceable letters that we really can't say. And so what we've done is we've taken the letters to Adonai, which is another name for Lord, and we've put them in between these letters, the y, y, w, Y-H-W-H, and we, we say now Yahweh. And actually in Hebrew, there's no W sound, it's a V, so it would be Yahweh. Everybody say Yahweh. Now, so we transliterate this. We carry it over into the English language. Go ahead and give me the next one. Uh, I, I am who I am is the literal translation of it. And if, if we're really very strict in our translation, it is, I shall be there as I am shall I be there. He's the God of the past, the God of the present. He's the God of the future. He's the God who redeems your past. Everybody in the room has a past. But now because of Christ, that's been washed in the blood, and you now have a new future in God. Somebody say Amen. So he's the God of the past, he's the God of the present, he's the God of the future. This is the same thing that we see in the book of Revelation. The God who was, the God who is, and the God who is to come. He is the I am. He's the I am in your past, he's the I am right now in your current situation, and he's the I am in your future. When you get there, he's already there. Because he dwells outside of time. He's the eternal one. Come on. Am I helping somebody this morning? All right, move it on to, to English. J-H-V-H. There is no J in Hebrew. We would say Yah. It still would be Yahweh. Now, we take Adonai and we put an E between the J and the H, an O between the H and the V, an A between the V and the H, and we, we get Jehovah. This is the home base for all of these other names that we're going to be hitting the rest of the summer. Jehovah Sidkenu next week as Pastor Alex brings the Lord our righteousness going to be an amazing message. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals us. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord your peace. Jehovah Makedesh, the Lord who sanctifies you and sets you apart. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is present. Jehovah Rohi, the Lord my shepherd, the Lord who sees you. And there are others this morning, I'm not going to take time to rehearse, but every one of these have this one building block in it, the Redeemer name of God. It's the, it's the redemptive name of God. I am Yahweh. I've come to lead you out of captivity. I've come to set you free. I've come to break the bondage. I've come to be your deliverer. I've come to bring you out of darkness and into my marvelous light. Come on, somebody. And the amazing thing is, is that he gets down into the mud and the muck and the mire of those slaves, and He brings them out of bondage, and that can only be identified with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Think about this, and I'm finished this morning. I hope that you've gotten something, a little bit out of this message. Last point is this, is this thing is what we call redemptive history. There's a story in the story, and there's a story way up above the story. Theologians call this the meta-narrative. It's the big picture. This is not just about... A little man named Abraham who God makes a covenant with and remembers it 400 years later. One becomes 70, 70 becomes 2 million in Egypt in slavery and God leads them out by, the name, by a man by the name of Moses, by the blood, the water, and the spirit. But the bigger picture is this, is that before the foundation of the world, God your father made a covenantal agreement. The very same way that God made an agreement with Abraham and he fulfilled it in a guy by the name of Moses... Jesus is your heavenly Moses. Jesus is your heavenly Abraham. The whole book is about Him. The whole book is consumed with who He is. And the amazing thing is that you've been invited to be a part of this script in this amazing story of redemption in this thing of history. In 2014, you were not an accident. God didn't make a mistake when your mom and dad got pregnant. Even without was out of wedlock. 
You, you were destined to be alive today in 2014. God knew you before the foundation of the world and He made an agreement in eternal history in the past. And He made a covenantal agreement that the heirs of that one down through history would get delivered by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus who is slain for us, identifying Him with the waters of baptism, burying the old life, being resurrected to a new life, and to be filled, to become a temple, to become a carrier, to become infectious and contagious with the Holy Spirit on the inside of your life. Hallelujah. That's the bigger story that's above and outside this story is that there's nobody sitting in this room this morning that God did not know. He knew you. He knows where you are. He knows your situation. He knows your circumstance. And I believe with all of my heart, He set His love upon you before you ever thought of. Bow your hearts with me, please. God, help us today. We're overwhelmed at the majesty of your plan. We're overwhelmed, oh God, that you knew us. You know the situation that my brother and my sister is in. You know the, the decision that is before them. You know the bad news they got last week. God, you know the faith that they're extending right now just to trust you and take the next step. There are all kinds of circumstances right now that this word has prophetically spoken to you uniquely for your life and I'm talking to you right now. You need to rise up and trust that God will defeat the enemy in your life. You need to rise up and trust that God will break. As a matter of fact, He's already done it. The enemy's already defeated. He's defeated 2,000 years ago at the cross. It is finished. You, somebody, you that I'm talking to right now, you need to take that first step of faith across the line and say, Jesus, be my Lord, be my Savior. My life is a mess. It's a wreck. There's no way I could even hope of heaven being my home. I thank you for eternal life. Change me. I repent. I turn to you. That was finished 2,000 years ago. Your point right now is acknowledging that and saying, Jesus, I turn and give you my heart be reconciled to God. Everybody in this room has a point of faith right now where the Lord wants to pull you into the picture. He's going to photobomb your life. He wants to put a selfie and say, this is who I am. I am. I am. I am that I am. I shall be there as I am. Shall I be there? Don't seek healing, but seek the healer. His name is Jesus.